Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, and I'm so excited to be back with you guys. I appreciate you guys downloading and listening and all of the comments uh, that we received. Uh, you can tweet me at Clayton Comic. You want to tell me what you think of the podcast, the new format, or just the fact that we're even doing this again. Uh, <laughs> I know people are pretty excited. This was always my favorite poker podcast for a long time. Uh, and I'm, I'm just glad to be part of bringing it back, back to the people, you know, power to the people. Uh, there were some sound problems last week and we do apologize for those problems. We were not aware of them while we were recording the podcast. Hopefully things have improved and you can hear me loud and clear. I'm going to bring in, bring in our guest in, uh, just a minute here, but I want to thank you guys for, uh, checking out the podcast and for rating and reviewing whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or whatever other platform you use, Podbean, wherever you found us and whatever uh, platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Uh, we appreciate the ratings and the reviews. We read every single comment. It just means a lot to us all. Uh, all right, so without further ado, let's bring in uh, Mr. Jason Smith. He is a TPE coach and professional poker player. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Clayton. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, so uh, before we get into some hands, I know people love to hear strategy and stuff, but let's just give them a framework. Maybe some of the listeners aren't familiar with you. You can just kind of give us a little bit, uh, you know, the, the elevator pitch. Who is Jason Smith and why should I listen to what he has to say? All right, perfect. So I started uh, playing poker uh, professionally in late 2006, early 2007, something like that. So it's like, you know, 11, 12 years now. Great. Um. I have been a private coach for the last six or seven years, and it, I also do a Twitch <clears throat> a Twitch stream, which is how I sell most of my coaching is through that. I am an instructor here where I am actually – I just completed making my second video series. It is a uh, mid-stakes tournament live spot where I made a couple of deep runs, and you got to watch me play – like watch me play live instead of, uh, instead of it being like a review. Great. So we got to talk through spots like that. Um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of who I am, where I come from. And speaking of playing uh, online, uh, you are doing so right now. And full disclosure, guys, we are recording this episode on October 10th, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And Jason, you are in the middle of a few tournaments right now, correct? That is right. It is the online super series on ACR this week. So there's a lot of really uh, big tournaments that we don't usually get. Right. So I, yes, I am, I am partaking. Okay. So if at any, t if at any time during this episode, you guys feel like Jason has tuned out, it's probably because he's all in in one of the big tournaments and he wants to find out <laughs> whether, he, whether he survives that or not. Um, so, uh, yeah, good. So let's talk about the World Series of Poker main event. Um, that's kind of what most people know me from. 
this year, as you probably know, I made my second uh, deep run, my second top 100 finish. I ended up in 28th place. Uh, and this week I was watching the uh, coverage on ESPN. What about you and watching poker on TV? Do you watch much poker? Are you one of these guys that like, I just can't stand to watch poker because you know, when I go home from work, I don't feel like watching my job on TV? Or do you still enjoy watching like on Poker Go or on ESPN? Uh, I do enjoy watching uh, a bunch of the Poker Go stuff. I enjoy I, I enjoy all the World Series coverage, that kind of thing. I'm kind of a snob when it comes to what poker I'll watch. I find it really, really boring to watch like nosebleed cash games where guys are just staring at each other and nobody's like like when the table's having a good time. I watch poker for entertainment, not for uh, education. Yeah, that makes a lot of right? sense. Yeah. So, so, so I like I like being entertained. And so when it's like Lon and Norm in the booth, that's awesome. Or Nick Schulman brings really great insight, and him and Ollie are really fun together. So I enjoy those guys too. But yeah, like sometimes watching those nosebleed cash games or whatever on uh, on Poker Go, it's just like, oh man, this couldn't be more boring. Yeah, know? yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I mean, that's actually one thing that I kind of had in the back of my mind as I was. Uh, playing this year and they had so many cameras on my tables at all times and I said you know I could maybe show people at home that you don't have to be boring and just staring down your opponents uh, at the table you can have a good time and many people have commented that I appear to be the only person in the tournament with 100 players left that was still having fun <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I take pride in that I mean I don't care what stakes I'm playing for how much is that is at stake I think that first and foremost we're playing a game and we should try to enjoy it. And I really did enjoy every moment. At one point, I told them uh, I never wanted it to end, but that when it did end, I was hoping there would be a bracelet on my wrist. It would have been nice to win the uh, main event championship bracelet. Uh, but, you know, I think I have to be pretty happy with the 230000 that I won for 28th place. So I'm definitely not complaining. So nobody write me angry uh, letters about my, uh, you know, first world problems <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I agree with you. Um, I've been checking out the uh, coverage for the kind of old school one hour per week reality show version. And they've really gone back to not showing the stack sizes, not making it all about strategy, uh, definitely having a lot more fun. This this is clearly a different product. You know, the poker go they were showing us like live during the summer. Uh, you know, 12, 14 hours a day sometimes, and even on ESPN where they're just, you know, they're trying to uh, bring people the actual moment-to-moment -moment decisions and all of the outcomes that happen. Now, on ESPN, uh, the last few weeks, I've noticed that it's it's gone back to basics where let's make it fun. People at home, most of them don't know the difference between the hijack and the button. It doesn't really matter that much. We're just trying to show them that you know people play poker for a lot of money, and then they give a little bit of strategy. But they're really doing a lot more with uh, the stories. You know, they did quite a bit about my backstory. Uh, how my mother was a poker player, how I'm a comedian when I'm not playing cards. And all of that was, uh, I think, a good idea, a really smart move as far as attracting more viewers. You know, I think we need to get the fun back into the game. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and yeah, I like how they do that, too. When you you feel like you get to know the guys when you when you learn their backstory, when you hear about your mom and you hear about your being a comedian and that stuff, you start to feel a connection with them. And then you root for those guys because you feel that connection. So it only makes sense they would do that, you know? Yeah. And they mentioned like several that. times how the yeah, me too. And they, they mentioned several times how the eventual winner, John Sin, was uh, a homeless poker player. 
uh, not homeless in the sense that he couldn't afford a house, but just that he didn't have one because he'd basically been uh, traveling the circuit and just, you know, kind of crashing on people's couches or, or doing hotel life or whatever. Uh, doing like the nomad thing. Right? Yeah, the nomad thing. So he, he kind of joked several times that he was the homeless poker player, which I think really uh, angered Carlos Welch because <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what he's known for uh, around here. So, uh, yeah, I think. I think they did a good job of kind of distinguishing between the two products. You know, if you want to spend, you know, $10 a month, and I don't see why anyone wouldn't uh, subscribe to Poker Go. If you're at all interested in poker, you can just have so much content. You should definitely uh, do that. I think you can get it for uh, $89 a year, which is, uh, I mean, really a bargain just for the amount, the sheer amount of content. Uh, and that's a product more for people who are quite serious about the game. And then you have the ESPN version, which is a little bit more uh, for fun, kind of uh, maybe more for the casual fan at home that just wants to watch some gambling on TV and enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I tried to do my part to make it entertaining, and I hope that people enjoyed watching me play. Uh, I'm ready to get into some hands if you are, Jason. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, great. So uh, we're going to day six because that's where they are in the coverage. Uh, but, you know, full disclosure, some of the details of the hands that they showed me playing on TV, they either caught them in the middle uh, and they didn't go back to how the hand actually started. Um, I have obviously insight that you don't see in a one hour TV show because I was actually sitting at those tables for eight to ten hours at a time. So I'll be giving some background that you may not have uh, seen if you did happen to watch when it premiered, I believe, last Sunday. Uh, anyway, in this hand, uh, it's it's day six, kind of early in the day. The blinds were 80,000 and 160,000 with a 20,000 ante. So there is 240 plus 180, 360K in the pot. And I am in the hijack holding... Uh, pocket eights, the eight of hearts and eight of spades. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I think it's it's pretty uh, – it's it's not exactly controversial to say I decided to open this hand. <laughs> I think it might be controversial if you didn't. Right, yeah, exactly. Like how tight do you need to be? So yeah, I, have, yeah. I have seven million behind here. Um, you okay. know, so we're, we're fairly deep. You know, yeah, uh, my, like just under 50 blinds or so, like yeah. 48, 49 blind, 47 blinds, something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Uh, 50, yeah, right, 49 blinds. And also, as many of the listeners were teasing me last week, you know, like you, I'm kind of old school. I talk about M, so I'm trying to bring M back, if people don't mind. So my M in this pot is around 20, and I feel like that's a little bit more useful as far as uh, understanding my stack-to-pot ratio before the flop, which is actually more important to me than exactly the number of big blinds I have. But we'll give both for those who are more comfortable with uh, one or the other. So anyway, uh, I opened to 360, which had been kind of the standard uh, opening uh, bet at this table. So it gives me a good price. You know, I'm betting the, the amount that's already in the pot to try to win the pot. I'm also happy if I get a caller with pocket eights. Um, my opponent is... Uh, two to my left, so he is on the button, and he raises to 950, and uh, his name is Nimrod Rian. Uh, uh, he has 20 million behind. He's one of the chip leaders at this point. Uh, my stack was probably just below average. I'd say the average around now was about 9 million. So mm -hmm. uh, this three bet might be scary under normal circumstances, but I need to tell you a little bit about Nimrod Rian. <laughs> this guy has literally been 
in 80 to 90 percent of the pots uh to to say that he was loose would just be understatement of the century uh, we talked about a hand last week where he overcalled from the hijack with, I think, a 6-3 offsuit. So uh, I don't get the feeling he's played a ton of poker. Um, I don't really think he is making decisions based on a solid strategy. More so, he's just a guy having a good time. Uh, they were joking about him on the broadcast, actually, that, that he doesn't um, reveal much about himself. Like he wouldn't tell them where he lives or how old he is. So, you know, when you get onto a TV table, they have you fill out a, a questionnaire and this guy just he, he left almost all of it blank. So he's kind of a, an international man of mystery, uh, Mr. Rianne. So uh, he makes it 950 and then everyone folds back to me. So, again, I raised to 360. He made it 950 from the button, folded back to me uh, in the hijack, holding pocket eights. Should I call or... Four bet. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting situation here, right? Because the stack size is so awkward uh, for just like a four bet, right? Like if you were in a four bet here, you'd have to go to like 24K or 30K, something like Or I'm sorry, 2.4 million or 3 million, right? right? And so you only have 7 million to start the hand, right? Yeah. So a four bet fold seems unreasonable. Especially against this opponent, I don't think that's really yeah. I mean, if we if we make a re-raise here, we have to be willing to go with it against this guy. He's been yeah. really crazy. I mean, you know, it's so weird because I've never been in a situation with the stakes that high, right? I've never been deep in the main event on what was it, day six? Yeah, this was day six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what that life is, right? So, <laughs> so this is you know from somebody who has no idea what it's like playing those types of type of stakes, but you know, if you have the read that this guy is just three betting a bonkers range here, I don't necessarily see an issue. And it seems crazy because you'd be getting in like 46 or 47 big blinds preflop with eights. But it seems reasonable to just get the money in preflop and take down the 1.5 million that's in the pot. That's like that's a 20% chip up to your stack. You're opening the hijack. He's three betting the button. Is that right or the cutoff? No, that's right. The button. Yeah, so he's three betting the button. There's 1.5 million in the pot. I could understand, uh, given the stakes, uh, sometimes flatting, um, and I can also see given the stakes sometimes folding. I mean, I know that's like, oh, you just like you know, you're not really giving anything definitive there. But it's it's a really really tough situation because of the stack sizes, right? And my tournament sense leans towards a jam. But again, I've never been in the ICM situation of the main event on day six. So, you know, yeah, what's I mean, correct there? It's tough to say. Yeah, I mean, and those considerations do come into play, probably more so for other players than they do for me. Um, I know everyone always says this, but I really care about uh, winning the tournament. Uh, I don't I don't consider ICM as much as uh, most professional players probably do, and that's probably a whole uh, one of the many leaks that I have in my game is that I just kind of play for the win. Um, so no, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think so. Like, are are you a professional poker player? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to answer that question because I make well, half my income from comedy, but I definitely am a profitable player. So I don't know. Well, well, well a profitable. Yeah. Well, are you relying on poker to pay your bills? 
Well, I, I guess yes. Yeah, so half okay. my bills I pay through poker and well, the other half then, I pay through comedy. Then I mean ICM is something good to get familiar with for sure, but I definitely understand the – you know, playing to win mentality. There's still like how many people left in this thing? Forty-four at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty-four so, players so, left. Yeah. So you're not even close to a pay jump either. You're still nine players away, which could be like a couple hours, right? Or yeah, maybe we just longer. It could be three or four right. hours before the next pay jump, right? Right, definitely. So you're not that you're not that close to the next pay jump, and I mean, yeah, I <laughs> I have a feeling if I was in that situation with that read on that player, my chips would just end up in the middle and it would be like, all right, let's play this. Let's get this 1.5 million. And, uh, you know, the times he calls, it's going to suck, but, um, you know, we'll just have to try and win the flip or, you know, get there if we need to, you but know, I think it's, it's going to be super profitable to just jam. Yeah. And I think that, I think you're right. Much debt I think, mm-hmm. uh, calling is profitable. And I think that, uh, jamming is also profitable uh, in this particular uh, spot against this guy I decided to call and my reasoning was that uh, he is going to be pretty easy to read um, I've been playing with him for a long time I know what his tendencies are and he's clearly not uh, a professional player uh, to put mm-hmm. it delicately I mean, he's just I, I know what's going on with this guy um, he has three bet with so many hands. I almost didn't want to let him off the hook, although that, that sounds crazy because I only have eights. But eights versus this guy's range are the nuts. I mean, I don't really want to let him fold like ace four offsuit or whatever else he chose to three bet with. Uh, that said, you could shove eights and get called by ace three offsuit from this player. So that's not even, it's only a third of his stack, and I, I think that he's just. He's pretty unpredictable in that sense. Uh, so I decided to take the little more conservative route here, although I definitely agree that calling is profitable. I mean, uh, shoving is profitable, and I chose to call. So we end sure. up seeing a flop, okay? it's So, uh, so we have like $2.2 million in the pot now, right, roughly? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. There's $2.2 okay. in there. Uh, we have $6 million more behind, so we have a, a pretty easy, yeah. easy to play, less than 3 SPR. Uh, yep. so I'm comfortable with all of that. And that's another reason I called cause I'm not going to have such an awkward decision, uh, post flop. You know, I'm either going to go, go with this hand or I'm going to hate the flop and get out. So, and, and you know, I can let this guy hang himself a little bit too, because he does tend to do that. So anyway, the flop comes down, uh, King of hearts, four of hearts, deuce of spades. So it's a King four deuce with two hearts. And we have the eight of hearts and the eight of spades. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, all in all, a pretty good flop from my hand. Uh, I, I like the flop. I don't love it, but I like it. Uh, I decided to check. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I would check all of my hands to him here. Okay, no great. Matter, basically, uh, there wouldn't be a flop that I would lead in this situation. Right, right. Okay, good. So, uh, I checked... And I think I'm checking my entire range as well, actually. So, yeah, we're, we're on the same page there. And into 2 point, I think it was 2.3 million, to be exact, he bets 700K, which, remember, he raised preflop to 950. Yep. So, now, against a professional opponent, this bet size would set off some alarm bells to me, or it might mean nothing to me, because, you know, against a pro who balances his ranges... This is a pretty decent flop to have some down bets 
as some people call them. And so, you know, in other words, against someone that really knows what he's doing, the 700K doesn't always mean weakness. But against this player, I read it for weakness. Sure. So that, you know, given that information, how to proceed? Should we just flat or do we want to raise him? Well, I mean, it's so. All right. So this is a really interesting situation here, right? Because if your read is he's weak, you know, there's two ways to look at it. Do you want to just call and get him to continue bluffing or do you want to protect your equity and take it down now because there's a ton of chips in the pot already? And I think my tournament sense tells me that if I really think that this guy's range is so wide and he's weak on this, on his sizing, if his sizing makes his range generally weak, then I would think just check jam it here and take down a 3 million chip pot and just go get a huge chip up in that situation, you know? Yeah, I do. I like it. I like to play a lot. Um, with the same kind of thinking, uh, I chose to do a small check raise. I just made it 1.7, which I actually thought would be scarier. Now, given he doesn't have that much hand-reading uh, talent, to say the least, but I felt like jamming could look like a flush draw, and then I don't have the benefit of taking down the pot without going any further into it. So in other words, if he ends up calling me with something like, I don't know, let's say he has uh, ace nine, right? That's in his range for sure. Uh, I don't really want that call, even though I'm a three-to-one favorite against that hand. Right, right, right. So you're trying to fold out two overcard hands. But don't you think – so here's the here's the issue that I see. He's an inexperienced player, right? Yeah. And so he's going to be making some inexperienced decisions. And instead of reading you for super strength and just folding, if he gets uh, overly ambitious or he gets – like his ego gets in the way and he decides that you might be bluffing or might have a flush draw, you're giving him an even better price. You're not exercising all the fold equity you could exercise. And making him call off with hands like ace-nine or ace-jack on that board, it's going to be really tough for half of his chips, basically, or like well, maybe a third of his chips, right? Yeah, a third of his That's, chips. It's, it's, so, it's so many chips to call off and to fade all of your outs if he's not already beat, if you do have a high equity draw. I think just using max fold equity here might be a bit better. Yeah. Um, just because when you make it 1.7, maybe he maybe he just reads you as super strong and decides to let go of some of those hands. But he if he does think that there's any chance that you're goofing around, I mean he's there's so many chips in the pot. It's going to be what it's going to be, one million to win. What do we have? Two point three plus seven hundred, so three million plus what four point seven. So yeah. it's going to be one million to win. He's getting like nearly five to one, four point seven to one or something like that. Yeah, and you know what? The more I think about it, the more I like your shove here. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think shoving is better. I think what happens when you get into these uh, late stages of the main event is you tend to value your own tournament life maybe more than trying to leverage your fold equity. <laughs> because right, you know, right. you're just thinking of, you know, as I mentioned, I do try to make you know make all the money. I, I go for first place in pretty much every tournament that I play. But at the same time, I think a little bit in the back of my head is like. Do I need to shove to get this done, or is 1.7 going to do it? Uh, it turns out, um, yeah, but I, I think all things considered, I like your shove better. Uh, as it turns out, he folds, 
so oh, nice. Very I'm nice. thrilled. And, you know, I could watch it on Poker Go. He had the Ace of Diamonds and Seven of Spades. So my read on his small flop bet was correct. And yep, also, you absolutely. know, just you – know, I think a lot of people like to uh, three-bet the button, but I think Ace – seven offsuit is a pretty uh wide hand to do it with uh it's just this is just how this guy plays yeah you uh, would only want to be doing that versus like very passive opponents yeah you know absolutely. there's like that's it's not a very good three bet choice unless you're playing against somebody who's just not going to be able to compete with you post flop and you have position or something like that right right and he just didn't have a skill edge in this spot but you know he's not even thinking in those terms i think he just he kind of just acts on a whim. He's like, I'm going to do this now, so see how that goes. And it's been working for him. You know, He's one of the yeah. chip leaders with 44 left in the main event. So I guess it's been yeah, working yeah, for him for six days now. So uh, Yeah, he, he caught some fire at the right time. Huh? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the nature of tournament poker, as I'm sure you're probably seeing on your computer screen right now <laughs> against some of your ACR opponents while we're, yeah, t- yeah, while yeah. we're talking. Um, yeah, so uh, – I, but all things considered, I think that your your play is superior to mine. Um, also, I should mention that at this table, I've been pretty much on lockdown. Now, I usually like to play a pretty loose, aggressive style. I like to mix it up. I like to get involved. I feel like people fold too much in general, and I like to you know, give them the opportunity to make that mistake as often as I possibly can. Uh, however, in this table, I have not only Rianne on my, on my left, I also have uh, another player on my left who has just been uh, just loose and crazy, uh, those who are watching the coverage might remember uh, his last name is Say Chow, uh, and he's wearing like a Portland Trailblazers jersey, and he's just playing like way too many hands. So these two really, really loose guys um, on my left were forcing me to shut it down and just keep my, uh, you know, keep myself under control. So I think what, yeah. this is one of the few hands I opened with those guys on my left. You know, I, I was opening value hands only pretty much um, at that table. So, uh, yeah, that one worked out. And uh, after that, I had a, an above-average stack after winning that nice little pot there. Uh, it didn't last long. A, a few hands later, I got into a coin flip uh, with ace with uh, my tens against a, a shorter stack's ace-queen and lost that flip, which dropped me down all the way back down to $4 million, which was uh, less than half of the average stack. And that is also the uh <laughs> the nature of tournament poker right so that's just that's how it goes you got to take those flips and you got to win them so i didn't win mine uh so let's see now here's a short stack hand that i thought was interesting uh a little bit later on with the same blinds 80k 6 160k with a 20k ante uh our table is eight handed we have 40 players left in the tournament and i was in third position or what some of you might like to call under the gun plus two at an eight-handed table. I have the king of diamonds and ten of diamonds. I have 3.4 million in my stack, and there's 340, no, 300, yeah, 340 now in the pot. So, so how, how many people uh, were, were dealt into the hand? So, yeah, eight of us. And so eight of you, okay. Yeah, so now there's two folds to me. Holding the king ten of diamonds, is this a fold? Is this a shove, or is this just a standard open? So you're like a low jack here, right? Uh, let's see, eight handed, uh, under the gun plus two. Yeah, I guess that is the low jack. It's middle okay. late position. Okay. However, I'm just trying. I'm just just trying to think of what our range would be here, right? Like right. which 
which range I would be using in your situation. So I think, um, yeah, I think I don't. I'm not sure if you asked. What, oh no, no, you were still explaining the hand. I'm sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, it's it's up to us. Uh, two folds. My question is, in this spot, in this position at this table, uh, do I have uh, do I have do I have the option of folding? Or do I need to get involved now because I am a short stack in the tournament? Um, I don't know. Is this a is this an open? Well, so you have over twenty blinds. You're in the low jack. You have a suited king ten. I mean, it's definitely a hand that qualifies as an open here. Um, you know, you might have if you have reads at the table that they're just going to be three betting you like almost always. Depending on sizing, if they have that wide of a range, you could even go for a four-bet jam if you just open for the minimum here. If you yeah. just open the 320, maybe you could set up some four-bet jams if you have enough fold equity. Um, but I think I think this is one of those type of hands from this position that you're gonna like you're gonna want to obviously just be raising. You're gonna want to have some raised folds in your range and some raised calls in your range. I think this is gonna be one of the better raised folds because if you do get calls, there's gonna be plenty of semi bluffing opportunities. You're gonna get plenty of flush draws, straight draws, top pairs, hands like that that you can continue betting and winning the pot with. So I don't know. If it was King Ten off, I could I would definitely fold it here. But King Ten suited, I think, is just a little bit too strong, and okay. I would definitely open. All right, cool. Yeah, we have 20 big blinds, uh, 20-ish big blinds. We have uh, uh, M of 10-ish. So I think under those circumstances, uh, these kind of hands are hard to play. I definitely considered folding, but instead opted to open to 360, which, again, has been the standard. Uh, you know, That's what everybody's doing on pretty much every open at this table. So I figure, sure. why do anything different? Why, why call attention to this hand? You know, just another hand that I'm, I'm opening um and everybody folded but my question was does what would i do if one of these loose guys on my left chose to four bet uh, to three bet me um and i guess you know putting this hand into maybe some 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 of these kind of hands into a four bet shoving range is probably okay especially against these opponents well, yeah. If you have a guy who's, if you have guys who are going to be three betting you very, very loose, now it just is going to kind of depend on your fold equity too, because you don't want to do it if, you know, say you make it 360 and they pump it to like 1.2 million, and then your fold equity is sort of very thin, right. right? Because they're going to be offering themselves some odds. But if they're making it 960, I think you have plenty of fold equity and you can go for it. Yeah, cool. You know, so their sizing is going to be the biggest factor in whether or not we should go for the four bet jam but you know if your reads are correct which i'm gonna honor that they are these guys are three betting way too loose like yeah i would just give them both the old four ball <laughs> yeah all right good good um all right so that's a good spot all right so i took it down there kind of kept myself alive you know i'm just trying to hang around that you know 20 blind range not get too short and see if i can get a spot uh, I was card dead for quite a while, almost at the end of this level, which remember in the main event, the levels are two hours long. Yep. So, uh, now there are 39 players left and there is a pay jump, uh, at 36, uh, where I think it went from $140,000 to 180,000. I, I could have those numbers wrong. Uh, but yeah, there is a substantial pay jump coming. Uh, Danny Tang, who has been pretty tight, again, it's that eight-handed table, same table, uh, 
this guy Danny Tang has been, you know, pretty conservative, not opening a lot of hands. Uh, he's in third position at the eight-handed table, which I think we determined is the low jack. He opens two, three sixty again, the standard raise. Uh, he has ten million behind. Uh, doesn't much matter. I only have like three point. Actually, at this point, I had been card dead for a while. I was down to two point four million, and I'm on the button with Ace Ten Offsuit, Ace of Clubs, Ten of Hearts. Uh, everybody folds to me. Uh, is this a shove or a fold? It folds to you. You have three point four million. It's the same blind level. Yeah, sorry, I have two point four million because I've been card dead for a while. So we yeah. have fifteen blinds. Yeah, so I've been waiting for a spot. Is this that spot? Do I shove here? Yeah, I mean, you know, there is an argument for going for a raise, and then depending on who the guys in the blinds are, if they're looser and they're going to sh- put you in looser, you can go for some raise calls. If they're on the tighter side, going for some raise folds. If they're going to just call a lot, you can play post-flop in position with a good hand, kind of keep your tournament alive a little bit longer that way. I think there's a decent argument for that, but you can't go wrong with a shove. I mean, a shove is going to turn a profit, and you're going to definitely get called by some weaker hands at times. Like They might call you with a king-queen, or they might call you with a weaker ace at times, and so and definitely some smaller pairs that you're flipping with. Um, so a shove is totally fine here although i do see a reasonable argument especially at this stage of the main event for you know putting this in your raise fold slash raise call range depending on the opponents behind you and what they're sort of capable of yeah okay so i went really old school in this spot and uh just kind of applied uh you know tournament poker for advanced players by david sklansky kind of uh logic uh i felt like the gap theory applies here when my opener is such a tight player he hasn't been involved in too many pots he's kind of in middle position here oh wait Uh, there was an opener in front of you correct oh yeah uh just a reminder everybody jason is playing four tables right now on acr so he might not i'm sorry i forgot about the guy in front of you i was thinking it folded to you with 15 blinds oh okay that's why i was giving you the you're like what are you talking about yeah i'm folding um yeah yeah yeah. no 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 no. i apologize so with the guy in front of you i mean you know it's going to be depending on him depending on what you think his opening range is if you think it's wide enough that he's going to have a bunch of folds when you jam then it's i mean it's almost always a jam but if you if he's been really really tight and it's the main event and you think he's only opening the very top hands then i would just fold well what if he's somewhere in between i think he's on the tight side not that he's really really tight i mean he's not a total rock but Mm -hmm. um i just i felt like he had been tight enough for long enough that i wanted to respect his range um, full disclosure, I did choose to fold this hand, but I definitely second-guessed whether that was the right play. Um, yeah, I think it's fine. If you think that he – yeah, if he's on the tighter side, the more honest side of things, then and you don't think he's going to be opening loose enough, then yeah, I like the fold. I think it's an exploitative fold. It's not a standard fold. You know, you're, you're making a read on the opponent and deciding to – uh, let go of, let go of the hand here in a spot that we would normally want to get it in. Um, but – but yeah, I mean, if he was one of these loosey goosey guys, then you would be happy to jam over their open, I would assume, yeah? Oh, yeah, I desperately wish that it would have been anyone else at the table. I mean, this, there were two guys at the table that were tight. Um, and then there was Joe Cata, who was probably playing, you know, the right kind of frequencies, on, and, you know, for the most part. And then there were just all these crazy people at the table. And I was, you know, really wishing that one of them had been the opener. 
uh, I had a bad seat in that sense because I was to the immediate right of the Lucy Goosey. Uh, at one point, I commented that the two players on my left, which is Rian and Seixiao, uh, they were going uh, going to battle against each other. And at one point, I joked with them that they are the best show in Vegas because they it's just they love the drama and they love <laughs> they were just like talking a lot. It was a really fun table, actually. If you get a chance to watch it on ESPN, like they showed kind of the highlights of this table and it is a fun table to, to yeah to no watch. i definitely i definitely look forward to seeing it yeah it's pretty funny like you 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 watch you're like the best players in the world all entered this event and this is who's in the top 40 <laughs> it really will crack you up uh so anyway yeah i made the i made the fold and thought about it for like two months until i finally saw it on tv the other day and you know results oriented I try not to be too results oriented, but it is nice when you make a decision to be able to find out what, in fact, your opponent had in that particular instance. I know we think in terms of ranges and, you know, just the right play against his range, not necessarily this particular hand. That said, it was nice to see that he had ace queen. Um, and I don't know how many much worse than ace 10 hands he actually has in his range because, you know, I think. One thing you probably haven't experienced uh, if you don't play a lot of live is the way, especially when the when the pay jumps are substantial and, you know, especially if it's inexperienced opponents that haven't been there before, people really, really tighten up. So the tight players get tighter and, mm-hmm. and the loose, crazy players seem to get looser and crazier. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic that you won't find like in an online tournament or even in your nightly tournament at your local card room. It's just something crazy happens in the main event where people will, will make ridiculous folds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can imagine. I can only imagine like I I I I mean, I can't imagine what I might feel like in those spots. I would like to think like, oh, I would just approach it the way I always approach every hand, but there's got to be a little something extra there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hence my 1.7 million before instead of <laughs> shoving because I think that was factoring into my decision. It's like, well, maybe I'll just try a little raise and see if that works. And then I justify it by saying this won't look like a flush draw. Uh, so in this spot, I'm happy to see that I, you know, I kind of dodged a bullet there in a sense. Like I, I got away from... This hand with a very short stack, uh, which I think it is pretty much a standard. The standard play would be to shove it uh, against mm-hmm. most opponents, but not against this guy and not in that spot. And then it was kind of gratifying to see that uh, in that particular instance, I did make the right play um, against his exact hand. So a little while later, really like on a pay jump now, 37 players left. Uh, the blinds went up, so we took a little 20-minute break. Uh, my mom was in Vegas and my mom's a poker player. So we got to like hang out. We went outside and talked about some of the hands I played and stuff. That was really fun. Um, nice little break for me. And then nice. Yeah, it was cool. You know, just having my mom there. So in this spot, I have 2.3 million in chips. Uh, so I'm a very, very short stack. I might be the shortest stack in the tournament. If I'm not, I'm one of them. Uh, there are 37 players left. There is a pay jump coming. The blinds are now 100K, 200K with a 30K ante. And it folds to me in the hijack with – I'm sorry. I'm in the hijack with ace of hearts, three of hearts. It does not fold to me. Alex Harrow on my immediate right, so he's in the low jack, opens to 450. And he's got – Nine million behind, 
uh, I have ace three of hearts against this guy. Now I need to obviously need to talk to you about Alex Harrow. Uh, he's no Danny Tang. Uh, he's been quite involved in a lot of hands. He's made some very loose calls, uh, in big spots, like for all of his chips. Uh, he's the kind of guy that I think would open from the low jack position with probably 60 or 70% of the hands. Oh, yeah. So Well then this is this is just an easy easy get it in then, right? I thought so. If he's I, opening if he's yeah, if he's opening that wide, I would certainly be willing to cram a suited ace there for sure. Okay, so any suited ace would be in your shoving range yeah. here. Yeah. Any right. suited ace if he's opening that wide, I mean, my range would look something like any pair, any suited ace, probably something like ace 8 offsuit and up and maybe even throw in an ace 5 offsuit. It would look something like all Broadway combinations, offsuit and suited, and then like 9-10 suited, 8-9 suited, and maybe like a jack-9 suited in there with those. Wow. And maybe that, maybe something like that. Yeah, if he's opening 60-70%, he's just full, and he's only probably calling you with like the top 10% of hands, right? Well, I don't know about that because he's going to be pretty well priced in to call with a lot more than that. I mean, he might not do so, but when he makes it 450 and then I shove for 2.3 million, uh, you know, with all the blinds and antes that are already in the pot, I mean, before we even deal the cards, there's two, there's 540K already in the pot. So then he puts in 450 and that's, so now we're basically at 1 million already in there. So I shove 2.3 million, so there's 3.3 million, only costs him uh, another, 1, 1, 1.9 1.9 so he's more. getting yeah so he's getting like you know 1.6 to 1 or 1.7 to 1 something yeah, like that right to 1.7 yeah so let's let's think though like e even if you are shoving all of the hands that we talked about what range do you think he puts you on right right and especially because you know given that i'm in the hijack I'm not on the button. I'm not in the blinds doing this. So, I mean, I still have four players yet to act behind me, which is why mm -hmm. I was surprised to hear what your range is here because you're really fading a lot of uh, a, a lot of bad things that could happen to your left now. But I guess it's just desperate times call for desperate measures, right? Well, yeah, it's one of those things, and it's like, let's think about it. This guy's opening. You're three-bet jamming. What do we expect calling ranges to be behind us? Right. I'm I mean, just saying they could so, wake up. Yeah, they could wake yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they could, but it's just going to be so rare, right? Like they'd probably call with something like, you know, certainly jacks plus an ace king, and then maybe some of the better players might include, you know, tens and ace queen in their range, right? Sure. Yeah, and then but you know, probably my, folding nines even after it goes raise and shove, right? Well, some some players would, but not these guys. These are the loose guys I've been okay, describing. Okay. Yeah, they're going to call. They're going to call with any pair, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. Even after it goes open and then show, and they have this other guy with 9 million chips like active in the hand still? Yeah, I mean, I, I might be over, uh, you know, overestimating what their ranges are, but I, I just didn't see these guys folding too many pairs. It's actually hard to describe the opponents that I had at this table uh, and do it justice because it was a wild freaking table with you know four tables yeah. left in the main event five tables left and this is what we had it was really crazy um yeah so i i mean maybe not any pair but you know i don't think they would fold sixes oh wow 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 okay well then i mean then we have to retool our range a little bit here that's what i thought <laughs> if that, they're, I'm glad call, we talked if it they're calling off with 
that many hands. I mean, behind you. Um, yeah, maybe I would pass on this spot then and, you know, tighten it up to something like, uh, you know, probably all my ace-tens suited an offsuit up and then my king-queens and then pairs like, you know, sixes plus or something like that. Okay. If you're getting if you're getting the, that wide of calls behind you, um, which I find really interesting, that stage of this tournament, these guys are just going bananas, huh? Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty much. I mean, you can watch it on Poker Go, watch Day Six B, and uh, you know, my table was basically the feature table from that point on, and uh, you know, mostly because Joe Cato was still alive in the main event, and people were pretty excited that he might actually make another final table in the main event, which is, you know, so rare. Um, but yeah, I happened to be there too, which was fun because they got to give me some exposure as well. But yeah, this is, uh, this is not your typical late stages of tournaments where you just play your normal ranges. I mean, this is, uh, a different kind of table. Um, that said, I shoved, uh, you know, I just went with it. I said, you know what? I have 12 big blinds. Alex probably doesn't have me beat. He's opening so wide. Uh, and then I'm just going to fade the chance that I get called behind. Uh, although, I mean, one of these guys behind me could pick up, like, King Jack suited and call. I mean, they were wide. So it wasn't a – we're used to evaluating based on standard ranges and standard opponents. This is a really different situation, which maybe makes it more of a fold. But especially with 37 left and there's a pay jump at 36. So maybe I should have folded it, but – I did well, move in. So you show what? Yeah, what ends up happening here? Yeah, so he calls and my hand holds up. He called with king queen offsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is a good call by him. Like obviously, given the price of one point seven to one, having a king queen. I mean, I have you know his range. He's doing fine against my range. Yeah, yeah, uh, especially if we have ace three suited in our range. He's yeah, doing, which he can't hard. know though. Honestly, I've been pretty tight at this table. He can't know that I I could have ace three ace three hearts, but yeah, it's still obviously it is in my range because I had it. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean honestly, I think if I was in your situation there, it would be really difficult to not shove over this open, especially versus a loose player. I think I would most likely go for it even with the looser guys behind it's just going to be so rare you know i said it to be tighten our range up to what i said earlier but the more i think about it it's like even if they are calling with sixes plus and you know ace 10 and up or something this still like that's like 15 or 18 percent of hands or something like that or like less than that maybe 15 or 12 percent of hands yeah it's just like not going to be often enough for them to wake up with one of those hands right so there are two kind of game theory questions that i had about this spot um, number one is, right, like we can fade the chance that they pick up. Even if their range is that wide, we can fade the chance that they might have something to call me with, even when they have so many hands to call me with. But then there's the other side of it, which is I'm, I'm, I might be the shortest stack in the tournament right now. I have uh, – I just have to wait for one more person to bust, and I earn, what, like another $40,000, real money. So even though I said that I like to play for first, like I'm not stupid. Like, is this an ICM spot where I should just say, you know, there are enough factors? Well, no. If, if you're the shortest stack in the tournament, then you should just be playing like basically plus CV, which means you're playing if it's a profitable chip EV spot, not money EV spot, right? Got it. Yeah. So, so, but, but that depends too on 
what are the other stacks that are around you? When are they going into the blinds next? I mean, there's so many factors that you can't see in a live tournament because are you allowed to get up and walk around the tournament area and scope out stacks at this stage when there's a pay jump? Nah, I don't really think they... I mean, they don't really enforce whether or not you're allowed to do that, but you know, I didn't really have an opportunity to do yeah, that because yeah, my table's up on a... And I'm up on a stage like with cameras and lights and yeah, stuff, and the uh, other yeah, tables yeah. are so, down below, so that wasn't really an option either. Right, and at that stage with five tables left, it's like there's the main stage, and then there's the two like outer stage tables, am I right? right? And then there's yeah. two on the main floor. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so everybody can't keep track of everybody at that point anyway. So it's really difficult. Like, you know, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm never, I've never, <laughs> it's easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, 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 you should shove. I've never been at that stage of the main event, so I have no idea what uh, might be going through my head had I had I been there, but I think my logic just tells me that it's such a good spot for Sagai's wide opening range for you. And you do have a little bit of fold equity, maybe not a ton, but you definitely, with almost 12 blinds, have some fold equity. Well, I tell you, Jason, I, uh, I'll tell you what went through my head since you don't know what would go through yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I shoved and immediately thought that I'd made a mistake. Um, and then, you know, I, I was. I was really, I was like down on myself in that moment right after I shoved because I said, this is stupid. Like I should have just folded, waited for somebody to bust, lock up that extra, you know, get the pay jump, whatever. Uh, and then when he called, as he's probably going to do a lot, and, and I actually had the, the, the better hand, I still didn't feel that good. It wasn't until I actually won the pot that I felt like, okay, I, I messed up, but the poker gods bailed me out, you know. That was how bad a mistake I thought it was at the time. So hearing you say, even after I tried to describe why I thought it was a mistake, hearing you say that it wasn't and that you would have done the same thing, it feels great. Because I've been thinking about that hand for so long. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think it's, I. yeah, I think the majority of the time I would be super happy to get it in there in your spot. Um, oh, that's fantastic. That's yeah. good news for me. Uh you know, and it, it proves I'm not results oriented because I did win the the hand, and I think a lot of times players will, uh, if they win a hand, they don't even consider that they might have played it poorly. And here was a hand where I actually more than doubled up, and I, I felt like I probably played the hand poorly. So I'm glad that you disagree that I played it poorly because it's always nice to have a pro uh, tell me that I don't suck. <laughs> that always feels good. So um, do you have time for one one more hand yeah absolutely okay great so let me pick i had a couple others written down a lot of these you know when i was short stack we kind of had just pre-flop decisions and they're not that interesting but i think with these pay jumps and people maybe putting themselves in my shoes like here you are deep in the main it might be different than discussing normal pay jumps in a ten dollar acr tournament or something you know yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> uh pretty high stakes here we're really you know how close am I getting to life-changing money here and stuff like that? So let's see. Uh, here's with That one was 37 players left. This one is 30. Let's see. Uh, all right. Yeah, just bear with me one second here. All right. Yeah, let's do this one. Uh, yeah, this was a real interesting hand. This is... Uh, this is a good one. We have uh, 
done pretty well since that hand I just talked about. And with 29 players left, and there's a pay jump at 27, so with 29 players left, uh, the blinds are still at 100K, 200K with a 30K ante. We are at a seven-handed table now. Uh, my friend, Nimrat Rian, who is, again, the loose, unpredictable, uh, probably doesn't play a lot of poker guy that's been, uh, that was uh, had 20 million earlier when the average was only around 8 or 9 million, raises under the gun to 450 uh he only has 6.2 million behind so we have him covered we now have 8 million behind okay yeah so things have not gone well for the guy that likes to play every single hand if you can imagine yeah his 20 million has dwindled and he's down to 6.2 million so he raises under the gun to 450 so just over uh min raise uh, it folds all the way around to me in the big blind with 10-8 offsuit. So obviously getting an, an incredible price to call, uh, mm -hmm. having a skill advantage, a substantial skill edge over my opponent. Uh, is there any reason to fold or three bet? I I would not three bet, and uh, no, I probably would just flick in the call too here. Yep. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I put in another 250. Not very controversial. Uh, the flop comes 10, 6, tray with two hearts. We have the 8 of hearts. 10, 8 offsuit. We flopped uh, top pair and some weird backdoor straight possibilities and a couple of weird backdoor flush possibilities. Uh, we are me, first. Wait, give me the board one more time. Sure. It's 10, 6, tray with two hearts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we and, have top uh, pair and an 8 kicker. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a wild, loose, aggressive, unpredictable opponent. So I'm first. Do I check or do I bet? Uh, I would check. Okay. I would check all of my hands here, though. Yeah. Like I, I don't have any, I don't have any leads in these situations, uh, in general, on the flop. Yeah. Unless it's a, unless it's a short stack to pot ratio situation, where we can go all in for a stop and go. Sometimes I would do that. Right. Okay, yeah, I mean, I consider leading. I actually do have a leading range. Um, I like to lead my sets. I like to lead my flush draws. Um, I, I do lead sometimes in these spots. I kind of mix it up about 50-50. Um, against this guy, though, I think checking is best. Uh, I want to let him make a bet, and I'm going to make my decision based on his sizing. Mm -hmm. uh, so he bets only... 500k and there's you know what there's five nine so there's one there's point, like 1.2 or 1.3 million 1.2 right? million yeah 1.2 million that's what it is so he bets 500k after having raised to 450 pre-flop and he's he's leaving himself uh 5.7 million behind so uh, obviously, we're not folding, right? We have top pair against this player. Mm -hmm. I could see merits to raising. I could see merits to calling. What would you do? I prefer just check calling here. I think that we're deep enough to just check call. I think when we check raise, we kind of turn our hand into a bit of a bluff. Um, I guess we could protect it a little bit by raising, so it wouldn't be the worst. But it's just like if we check raise and get called, are we just shutting down after that? 
where are we going from here? Yeah. You know? Um, I think against most players, check-raising is turning your hand into a bluff. But against this unpredictable, loose, wild opponent, he might very well come along with like a pair of sixes, just middle pair. Um, he would certainly continue with any draw. Maybe not any draw, but any flush draw and probably a lot of uh, straight draws as well. Um, he might even continue with ace high. I think he would probably continue with pocket fours, pocket fives, kind of the pair between bottom and middle. I don't think that he's a big folder. So you think even after getting check raised on this board, he would continue with those hands? I do, and I know it's hard to imagine an opponent like that, but you got to believe me, when I played with this guy for 12 hours, I have seen some wild decision-making. And if you watch him you on Poker think... Go, you'll see it. It's crazy, some of the stuff he did. Um, okay, so another question is, do you think that he would continue barreling those hands across a lot of different turns, or do you think he kind of just checks back the turn a lot? I think he would, if we check raise a normal size and he doesn't have us beat, he's usually going to check back on the turn. Okay. That sounds um, like a loaded question, is it? Uh, well, it's, I'm just trying to figure it out here. So, because I think in general versus... I think in general, on a board texture like this, with my specific hand, I would almost always just check call it. Um, now, he's going to have, what is he? He started the hand with 6 million. He opened to 450, about 500. So now he has, like, just over 5 million left. Yeah. And there's 2 million in the pot. Right. So if you are going to raise here, I mean, are we just going to go to, like, 1.5 million and then be happy to get it in? Yeah, we could do that. I mean, that is that is certainly a line that I think is profitable, believe it or not, against this particular so, opponent. So if he goes – so if the line goes something like this – like I'm just trying to get it all straight here. If the line goes, he bets 500K, you check raise to 1.5 million, he shoves for 5.7 million total or 5.8 million total, whatever it is, you're calling? Yeah, we have to against oh, this wow. player. We have to. I mean, we – this is not a player against whom folding top pair is correct. Um, you know, this guy, especially the way he's been beaten down, like a lot of my game is about kind of analyzing what's going on in my opponent's head. And so this guy has gone from 20 million four hours ago all the way down to 6 million now. And, you know, he's beaten up. He probably feels like he's been taken advantage of at this table. And he might just put his foot down and say, you know what, you check raise me, I'm just going to shove with my heart draw or with my pair of sixes or even with nothing. Man, I just, yeah, I guess I guess if he's that loose, you can exploitatively make this check raise. I think, honestly, I think the vast majority of the time I would just be going for a check call here. But if you have this exploitative read, I'm not going to begrudge you all this value if he's willing to just punt it off. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is how... Uh, firmly, I believed in my read. I went all in. I mean, I didn't okay. actually go all in, but I bet enough to put him all in if he wants to call. Oh, okay. And so you just you just went check shove here. Okay, okay. I just check shoved it, and the reason why is because I felt like I could get value from a hand like seven six, 
you know, maybe like ace three, bottom pair with an ace kicker. Yeah, if he's calling off with all these hands, then yeah, 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 I, I like it. Plus, it serves as protection if he just has like king jack or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and know? then I take it down. I don't have to worry about seeing any more cards that I don't like with my top yeah, pair. Fa- fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, he tanks for five minutes, and I wondered for months until I finally saw it on TV the other night. He folded queen ten, so he <laughs> had me beat. Oh wow, 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 wow. So it did work as a bluff. <laughs> this is just one of those hands nice. where I just, you know, I thought that I could get him to call me with worse, and he actually ends up folding better. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that well, was a I mean, <laughs> wild hand yeah, right there. If he's folding queen ten there, then I think we can assume he's probably folding all those other hands too, right? Yeah, I mean, well, actually, you know, a player like him, I think that he's, you know, unpredictable. So. He might yeah. sometimes fold queen ten. He might sometimes <clears throat> call with pocket deuces. Uh, yeah, just, like he just wants to be the hero. Like he's gonna make the hero fold and gonna make the hero call. Yeah, he right? yeah he's definitely he's probably wearing a Superman T-shirt under that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean he's just this guy like this flashy Asian guy with like you know sunglasses like sparkly sunglasses and lots of jewelry and like he's an international man of mystery. So I mean I love playing live because you get to like see who your opponent is. And you know if I ever played against this guy online, I wouldn't know like how much fun he is to be with. You know, there's something yeah. about being at the table with a character. You know, uh, and I, I assured him after the hand that he he because he, he took five minutes to fold. I said, don't worry, I had you. I had you. Don't worry. You. I was so sure. Like my hand is the nuts against this. You know, you flop top pair against a player like that. You know, I just didn't think there was any chance. My hand was no good, and I thought I was going to get called by worse. So I'm trying to tell him he made a good fold. He's like, why? What did you have? I said, I had a 10. He's like, oh, I had a 10, too. I was like, oh, you did? <laughs> so that's just, oh, boy. Yeah, well, I guess maybe I didn't have you. All right, cool. So, yeah, that was a hand that uh, they showed on the uh, broadcast as part of a narrative about how I was getting people to fold better hands. Um, I think late in tournaments, I do tend to ramp up my aggression, maybe too much, but it has worked for me um, throughout my career where I feel like when there's a pay jump coming or when there's a lot of money at risk or there's a final table uh, bubble or whatever, I feel like people just, they don't play enough hands. And so even though in this particular spot, you know, my logic was not that I was bluffing him and trying to get him to fold a better top pair than what I had. Uh, You know, I, I was doing all the things you said, like trying to get value uh, from the other hands that I thought I was beating and I thought might call me. I can get value from flush draws. Uh, I can even maybe get him to fold uh, hands like King Jack, like you said. You know, those hands have a decent amount of equity against mine, and this pot's big enough for me to just take it down. Uh, and, but I was definitely, I felt like I was playing for value here. I wanted him to call me with a six. Uh, so I was, I was. Shocked and pleased that I managed to play badly enough to get him to fold the winner. So there you go. <laughs> Tournament yeah. poker strategy, you know. I don't know what I'm doing, but somehow I got 28th. <laughs> oh man, no, that's a no, that's a that's a pretty awesome hand, though. It's pretty interesting how that ended up working out. Yeah, and it's a big shove, you know. Like you said, he only bets 500k, and my shove is for over 5 million. So it's you know it's 10 times his bet, it's three times the pot. It's a big shove, no matter how you look at it. I mean, it's not obnoxiously big, 
but it, it's you know it's a good size bet that I wouldn't normally make. I think against most opponents, checking and calling with the top pair medium kicker is absolutely standard, and I'd probably just do that for three streets against most players. Let him continue to bluff me, whatever the case may be. But against this guy, I just felt like I had a value shove that would also serve to protect my hand against two over cards. So, uh, yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> he folded something better, but not much better. I think he definitely calls with ace-10, obviously, but, yeah. Maybe he was worried about his kicker, or maybe he just felt like, you know, sometimes when you're evaluating another player's psychology, you get it backwards. Like, for me, if I'd been beaten down from $20 million to $6 million, I might say... Uh, you know, I'm going to be more careful now. I'm going to try to, you know, methodically get that stack back or, or maybe just try to, you know, do the professional thing and not think about how big my stack used to be, but just play the stack that I have now. Uh, but I feel like when you're up against an amateur opponent or one that's not that experienced, it's better to think about what that player is thinking. And that's what I was doing in this hand. I like this hand because I was wrong about what he was thinking, but I had a logic uh, and a reasoning behind the play that I made and the narrative on ESPN shows the opposite, that I had turned my hand into a bluff. But in fact, I was not going for a bluff at all. It just worked out that way. I guess old school pros, we would call that a merge, right? Where sometimes he folds better, sometimes he calls with worse. <laughs> so I guess I had right. a merged, merged range there, but just not not on purpose at all. I didn't think of my wildest dreams that this player would fold a 10. So Yeah, no, no, no. You're expecting him to call with much worse. So that is kind of it is interesting how it all it, it all ended up working out. <laughs> yeah, really bad uh -huh. read by me. But uh, like I say, he's so unpredictable. It's hard to read a player that's going to just basically make his decisions on on whim. You know, he might just do what he feels like doing in the moment. So how can you really predict what he's going to do? I don't know how he's going to feel in a given moment. But my logic was that because his stack was, you know, one third less than one third what it was when we started this table, uh, I felt like he w might be to the point where he was just ready to go with second pair and just go with it, whatever it was. But you know, maybe the reality of the situation and the gravity of it just kind of overcame him at that point, and maybe how tight I had been also might have factored into it, where he said, you know, this guy's not not bluff shoving me, you know. He's not he's not fooling around. Clayton's got it, you know. So who knows? It would be uh, it would be fun to talk to him about that hand, but I, I don't think he's gonna ever talk to me again. <laughs> 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 not after he sees that one on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little, maybe a little salty. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he he didn't really have a, a positive attitude towards me for the rest of the tournament. Uh, well, at least for the rest of the time that I was in it. He ends up outlasting me, which is uh, you know good news for him. So anyway, uh, Jason, I want to first off thank you so much for uh, taking the time uh, tonight to record with me while you were playing for other tables. How's that going, by the way? Uh, it's going good. I actually just busted a final table a moment ago, but it was Grr. a decent run. All right. Yeah, I know. And uh, but I, I still have a couple other stacks going, and you know we're we're trying to make something happen. Hopefully, it's a long night ahead of me. Yeah, I hope you have a really long night ahead of you, and uh, I'll be checking you out. How can people follow you? Are you on Twitter? Do you, I know you said you Twitch. Give everybody yes. all the information so they can learn more about sure. you. Sure. Yeah, so you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Snost and Lost Poker, or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Snost and Lost. I stream there as well. Um, <laughs> what is this Snost and Lost? What, how did you come up with that name? So it's uh it's like it's like the past tense for snooze you lose, snost and lost. <laughs> Great. I, I actually I actually got it from a music artist. He it's a line in one of his songs. He says, 
uh, you snooze, you lose, wives, snoss, and loss, and I just thought that was kind of cool. So that's where I got it from. I want to hear that song. Who's the artist? It's by a guy named Mike Doty. Okay, great. I'm going to look and, for that. And the song is called I Hear the Bells. You'll, <laughs> you'll hear it in there. You yep. snooze, you lose, and he snossed and lost. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that's where that's where I got the screen name from. It was just from artists I like or whatever. Great. Well, we'll be looking forward to uh, more videos from you on Tournament Poker Edge. And guys, remember, if you are not currently a TPE subscriber, highly recommend you do so. It is the only website in the world that is totally dedicated to tournament poker strategy uh, we have the best coaches obviously you can tell from my conversation with jason here uh he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about and uh you can watch him play four five six tables at a time on tpe so go to tournamentpokeredge.com all right well for jason smith i want to thank you guys for listening i'm clayton fletcher have a great one Show